0: Welcome to the SDG Talks Podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the Roadmap to 2030. We are
1: your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks Podcast. That's the only thing one can do. You fly, you do whatever you want, but then stay rooted with Mother Earth. Do whatever little that is possible uh, for you to change this narrative of doom of to hope. I think in that, it requires your individual efforts, it requires your community efforts, your family efforts, it requires your institutional efforts.
0: SDG Talks community, welcome back. Today we're gonna hear from Rongjong Panda, who's been called the water man of Odisha and a climate crusader. Ron John's from the disaster capital of India, Odisha, and this gives some context on the frequency and intensity of cyclones that are happening across India. We're going to hear about some of the skills that we need from a rural and urban perspective to live with nature, and not just become reliant on over-engineering our way out of problems. He's going to give his vision for what India looks like in 2050, and shine some light on what change makers should consider, especially for the upcoming Unleash India hacks. Hope you enjoy listening, and keep on STG talking. Ron John Panda, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you, Kevin. Of course, it's great to have you here. So, where in the world are you located today?
1: Yeah, I'm on the Bay of Bengal, at the head of it. Uh, if you know the uh, the eastern state of Odisha in India, that's arguably called the disaster capital of India. So, I'm based out of there.
0: So, I've heard that you are the waterman. Of Odisha and a climate crusader. <laughs> For those of us that maybe don't know what that means or how you got that title, how how did that uh, maybe self-proclaim or title that was given to you come to life?
1: Yeah, I think people call me. They love uh, they love calling me the Waterman because of my dedication to raise awareness on uh, water harvesting, water management, a lot of love things to do with water. Uh, almost like passionately and consistently ever since I was a student, uh, master student in the Sambalpur University in uh, in Odessa. And uh, I devoted my life to work with the local communities, the aboriginals, the, the indigenous communities, and you know other people in the central highlands of India to revive some of the traditional knowledge and technology of water harvesting uh, to to basically prove, drought-proof uh, some of these perine- perennial drought-prone regions of the country. So initially, some of the television channels, actually, they started profiling me as the waterman. Then that sort of uh, caught Im- imagination of other people. It spread, and then slowly, slowly, they started recognizing me, I think for almost, more than two decades now, as a waterman of uh, Odessa. This regarding the climate crusader, I think there is a one of the leading uh, television uh, channels, news channels of uh, India called the NDTV. They had profiled me as a climate crusader in a special program because of uh, because of my involvement in, in climate change awareness uh, from a time that nobody was, in fact, talking about climate change. In fact, I started talking about climate change in the early 90s. That time, that was not a subject that people were discussing. And I faced a lot of challenges. People laughed at me. They thought I was publicity crazy. So, you know, but still I continued. I raised a lot of awareness on climate change. In fact, that attracted these television channels and they thought uh, to profile me as Climate Crusader. They went on to sort of give me an award called the first Green Hero Award uh, in India uh, that was handed over to me by the then president of India. This award was instituted by the same television channel and and the Toyota, NDTV and Toyota. So I think that is how this uh, small background it all
0: comes. Right, John, that's amazing. And I I also like to consider myself probably more of a self-proclaimed water guy. Everything I do is revolved around water. Everything humans do is revolved around water with everything we touch, eat, consume. It's all water-based, and it's something that I am very passionate about raising the awareness on how important water is to everything we do. But at the same time, we also realize that while water gives us life, water also gives us death. And I think you you gave, made a good point about you were pushing climate awareness at a time when maybe it wasn't as a big deal or wasn't as something that was widely accepted. It's still at times denied. And you see sometimes, that you, you see some of these, let's say climate deniers that say, hey, no, this is a hoax or this isn't happening. But you see some of these disasters and these cyclones happening in higher frequency and in higher... In bigger, larger impacts, and like you're talking about disaster capital. So for those that maybe are still denying or not accepting the issues of climate change, how do we continue to showcase that, hey, that stuff that humans are doing actually are making a negative impact? And I mean, of, of course, you, the proof's a little bit in the pudding with the increase of some of these disasters, but what are your thoughts on how we continue to, to build the awareness on that hey climate change is not just fake news climate change is actually something that is happening every day and we're seeing the impacts and if we don't take action we're going to have a very tough time moving forward
1: yeah yeah actually you uh, i used the people's uh, perceptions you know itself because when i realize that people are not taking it seriously and that's very natural of uh, them because you know, I say always that the most positive and uh, I would say hopeful species on Earth is, are the humans. And they they don't want to actually, you know, uh, they don't want to realize, uh, they don't want to realize that they are being, uh, they are getting endangered, that they, are, they can be extinguished by something. So they are very hopeful. And uh, that's the reason they are very complacent. They always feel that, yeah, I think there is something that is that will save us and fortunately or unfortunately many people are God believers. Ultimately they feel, oh yeah this is happening but you know uh, God will save us because we are praying. And kind of you you face the real bottleneck in these mentalities, in these mindsets. And the second thing I would say that they don't respect science. Uh, they, they uh, you know, they realize that things are changing they realize that you know local uh, indicators are changing Uh, impacts are uh, growing Uh, for example every generation every next generation keeps on telling oh yeah when we were children you know water was in the wells they were just 12 feet deep now you see it is already six feet down and see the temperature has gone gone off we are feeling warmer in the summers and uh, they realize, but they don't. They don't connect the dots. Normally, they don't connect the dots. They realize that yeah, this is happening, but then uh, they don't. They don't want to believe that this is a pattern that is emerging. What I did was, you know, the consistency in my thought. Uh, you know, you you keep uh, pushing for that. Uh, these indicators. That, you know, there is one place in Odisha, for example, where we realized that the sea is getting onto the mainland and and pushing villagers back. Uh, It's it's actually rising. And when we started that, we wanted to make it a media, uh, big media, you know, sort of uh, south south out. And then initially people said, no, this is something, you know, you you need not worry, there's only one place and, uh, and there must be some geological and other regions. But then that is not a common phenomenon. So I think the two-way approach that you need to take in these kind of things and what we, we did was, you know, you keep on reporting from there. You keep on uh, keep on updating people on how the sea is already in. Yeah, see this year it is already a few meters up. And next year you then again go there and you know show pictures to people, video to people, take medium in and, and see that no see now one more village is gone. So that is one and the other strategy is you know you keep on disseminating all the scientific information that is uh, you know growing of course now it is absolutely in in an electric manner every day you have a new science you have a new report you know warning people on how things are changing but when at that time it was very difficult to find literature on exactly how much the sea is increasing, you know, rising in, in, in the Bay of Bengal, for example. So, you know, still we we decided to c- contact with all the kind of experts that we, we could find out globally in India. So we kept on feeding the media, feeding other people with whatever science, scientific research that were confirming climate change. And, and we kept on feeding the media and the same people on what is happening the the uh, you know the testimonies from the ground. So I think in this two-way approach, you constantly if you constantly keep uh, feeding people with you know the uh, the real reality of uh, life of of people who are impacted by climate change and also the the uh, the nuances of science you know that is coming up. Then in a way you know people slowly slowly realized and. And when the government start recognizing, in, uh, then you are, you are sure that things will move because they are the policy makers. So they start, uh, you know, doing their own beat, uh, however slow and small that might be. But then that catches the, uh, you know, uh, attention of the media, that catches the attention of people. And that catches the you know attention of all other stakeholders in 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 the process of development and policy making. So so in that way, if you keep constantly harping on an issue while knowing very sure surely that actually you are harping harping on the right issue, and you are not a fake. Uh, you are not doing something fake like uh, you know uh, some of the politicians do nowadays. And uh, I think people start believing you. They start trusting you. So in a way, I can very safely say that people started trusting me when I said that sea was rising, uh, coasts were getting vulnerable. Then they started to see that actually this is expanding. uh, More people are, uh, you know, sort of getting impacted. Cyclones are getting intense. Their occurrences are getting more frequent. And kind of uh, new studies are also coming up more and more studies are confirming the same. Similarly with drought, uh, things are getting different with extreme precipit- uh, precipitation events. You know, people realize that the rainfall pattern uh, getting disturbed and, and slowly, slowly they start connecting the dots. Uh, and And at least you make a mark in their imagination, in their perception that things are changing and this is climate change.
0: It seems like whether we believe it or not, uh, sea level rise is happening. And you're seeing the frequency and intensity of cyclones happening at an increasing rate. So with that, it's sort of, okay, well, what can we do about it? And I know there's this upcoming Unleash Hacks uh, within India coming up, really focused on how can we cyclone-proof cities and how do we make cities more climate resilient. But what are some things that you're seeing as, as things that can actually be implemented that are maybe tailored around, you mentioned water harvesting earlier and some traditional indigenous knowledge. What are some success stories or some case study examples that you're aware of that we can that are being implemented now and that we need to focus on more to make cities in India and around the world more resilient to climate change?
1: If you're talking about cities, then I would say that the cities are the most vulnerable to climate change in a sense that they are the most complacent people. Uh, the villagers are alert. Uh, the villagers are more impacted, but they're alert and they are the rural folks. And they still have the skills to live with nature. The problem with the city dwellers is that they have forgotten the skill to stay with nature and uh, they are no more, you know, like mingling well with uh, the green infrastructure, the blue infrastructure. They are just over dependent on the gray infrastructure and uh, their entire mindset is going in a way that, you know, for example, I did a survey and I still keep on doing that when people invite me to schools and colleges, uh, including in US or UK, wherever I have visited, I have tried to understand, you know, what the new generation thinks about where from the water comes. So uh, surprisingly, and in growing number, you know, the youth, uh, the students are thinking that water comes out of the, out of the tap. And for example, petty comes, uh, comes from the supermarket. So, you know, this knowledge degradation on actually water, there is a source for water and that, that needs protection, for example. So that is eroding fast. So what I meant to say about this, uh, this vacuum or this gap in knowledge is, you know, cities are less prepared to handle climate uh, extremes, climate impacts. And that is, that is the reason it, uh, it makes a lot of sense to develop climate resilience in the cities. Uh, for example, the cyclone funny in Bhubaneswar, uh, the capital city of Bodhisattva, where I stay, is uh, it did not actually think a bit that the cyclone funny will impact it. And when it impacted, uh, due to the last minute changes in, the, in its course, uh, after it reached the surface, land surface, it actually uh, devastated the city. Its, its infrastructure, its electricity uh, in, infrastructures, its water supply, and uh, most most importantly, the informal settlements, uh, the slum dwellers. So this kind of uh, preparations and the situation make us believe that the cities need to
0: prepare themselves uh, really solid, really thorough. Ronja, one one comment on that. It seems like often humans always think that we can engineer a way out of a problem and, and you mentioned yep. we're in the cities we're reliant on drain infrastructure as opposed yep. to maintaining these skills to live with nature. Are you seeing better response and adaptation to climate change in, in some of the rural areas where there is more of a connection and, and unifying and relationship with nature or or, or what are some of even thoughts that you see in rural or city areas on how we can try and further adapt our ability to live with nature?
1: Actually, there are many ways to look into that. One is, if you are talking about shelter, for example, then definitely the rural areas are not as, as prepared to handle cyclones and floods with the kind of shelters they live in. If I take example of India and the coastal littoral plains. But if we're talking about, uh, for example, food insecurity due to due to drought, or maybe uh, other uh, challenges or even water, I think the rural folks will be uh, much better prepared uh, because in water, in fact, we cannot say that uh, that straight, there could be like for in in a drought uh, year, uh, the rural folks will suffer more because they don't have a secure water supply. But the city's water supply, if that is devastated, then definitely they might be ill prepared. So it's like a complicated uh, way so the cities have different, uh, you know, things to handle. And the rural folks have different things to handle. But but then uh, but then, for, uh, if you are going to the rural area, what they know is they, they know to protect their natural resources. They know to uh, live with them. And that's the reason if for any reason they, uh, there is not a food supply, for example, in a forested area like during this uh, COVID also, uh, we did some studies in uh, an area called Similipal bioreserve and uh, the people had their food with them so they did not have to go out fetch uh, outside. so their forest was uh, uh, was giving them the food. The, this could be a uh, you know a small example but then there are different ways to look into so I, I don't think we have a, a one sort or one formula for every kind of things. So what I meant to uh, what I meant to say about uh, living with nature is, the cities have to actually respect, as you say, natural waterways, wetlands of different sorts. Uh, they, are, they are converting them into market complexes, whatever, and whatnot. And that's the reason urban flooding, because your extreme uh, rainfall events have grown. So urban flooding is growing. So they are not prepared because their wetlands are already gone uh, or shrunk in, in uh, to a large extent. And in that way, if you see... They don't have open spaces anymore. If there is, uh, for example, pollution, they don't have sufficient forest to absorb them. And kind of, uh, you have different issues for both the, both the areas.
0: Yeah, it seems like there's, there's no one-size-fits-all for the entire country, especially urban or rural but it does seem like regardless they're both experiencing challenges when it comes to the impact of cyclones and it seems like there are there has been some good tech weather forecasting and weather detection technology to understand is a weather event going to happen and when's it going to happen and that there's some ability to communicate this to both rural and urban people to let them know, hey, you should evacuate or or you know seek shelter or whatever it may be. But and, and that's great. And I, I remember uh, Animesh mentioned that, you know, we can evacuate people now. We're pretty good at preventing the loss of life. But then it's what happens after these cyclones. Like cyclones to me are like in America, it's baseball season. We know baseball's going to happen. It's just a matter of when it's going to happen, not if it's going to happen. So after these cyclones, how are we? What are your thoughts, and how do we develop post-cyclone resilient cities to where people are able to get back to work and people are able to maintain food supply? and And what are some thoughts on how we can enable populations to be more resilient after the cyclones happen?
1: Yeah, you are right. Actually, uh, if I take the example of Odisha, then uh, between the super cyclone nineteen ninety nine and today. Odisha has actually grown off in a very, very uh, sort of superb way in, uh, in handling evacuations because technology has improved, the machinery has developed, uh, uh, and lives have been saved. And in fact, Odisha is an example. It's a global example in that sense. And But the handling after that in cyclones, whether in Odisha or everywhere else, we are yet to transform into or transit into that that resilience phase. And the first thing I would, uh, in my mind is, again, uh, nature. Your natural capital on the course have shrunk. And I won't say that it, it is because of, uh, you know, only people. Now, now even climate change is uh, responsible for uh, destroying some of the natural, uh, you know, barriers. But then I think this can be debated later. The second thing I would say, I told you, is shelter. Like for example, 40% of Orissa's rural households they still uh, stay in uh, the kacha houses or sort of mud houses, thatch roof, and all. There are certain projects, governments and others are trying to, you know, like, go go them into uh, concrete and other kind of structures. But but within that also, uh, you know, disaster resilient construction uh, is still a far cry. There recently only I was uh, evaluating a particular uh, project of some an organization called you must be knowing uh, the Catholic Relief, Relief Services CRS in India and they were they are promoting kind of a technology which is actually making very poorest of the poor you know disaster resilient housing providing them with technology and market uh, based support and other techni- and other technical support to go into. Disaster-resilient housing. So, uh, and many others are doing that. It's not only one organization. So many organizations are already on it. If uh, after the cycle, after the filing, you say there are many people who are working in the southern parts of Odisha, I know. Uh, So that is one. One is your shelter. The second thing is definitely, you know, restoring your livelihood. Because that is something that uh, still people are struggling a lot you know your geography is in danger and for many people you know their their lands are getting engulfed by the sea uh, their geography is changing their history is uh, is eroded uh, you know they just don't uh, have have a history anymore of a particular area so they are completely new to a new geography for, for the people who are in, in in the littoral plains but for the others you know their livelihood is uh, at crisis so Providing them alternative and sustainable livelihood is, is the second you know, biggest challenge.
0: Rajan, right, on that point, restoring livelihood, you know, how do you actually do that? Is, that? is there market-based solutions with giving new economic opportunities? Is it, is it giving them access to the supplies they need to live? I mean, I'm just curious on what, what does that actually mean when you say restoring livelihoods?
1: Yeah, you see, there are different kinds of it all. It depends on the skill set that people have. You know the, the historical or traditional professions they are in, and and the kind of opportunities that the local market and the government provides. So you have to have a comprehensive understanding of a particular locality, and then try to design you know in, in innovative ways to restore livelihoods. For for some of the uh, communities, as I have seen, you know the, the local forests already give a lot of uh, a lot of livelihood opportunity. The farmlands, for some it is gone, but for some it is still there. So what you do is there are also uh, efforts are on for, you know, disaster resilient or flood resilient like cropping patterns, uh, you know, uh, paddy varieties and other uh, farming systems. So this kind of restoring livelihoods can also happen. And in in projects like this shelter also, you create new opportunities uh, for the local masons the local vendors, the markets and link them to the uh, beneficiary the beneficiary farm, uh, people who are who are your you know who take your support to build their shelter so kind of new opportunities are also created for a multiple set of people so there are several ways one can do that and if the conventional ways fail then you have to work out i think newer and newer uh, opportunities and that all as i said Will depend on the locality per se, and and the opportunities that that can, uh, that can be provided by government and civil service, uh, civil uh, society, and other market uh, market of, you know organisations. So it's all a multiple. Uh, again, it's not a one uh, a size fits all kind of solution.
0: No, I mean this is not a. A simple problem to address, and there's a lot of underlying factors from the geography, the topography, the demography, the the yeah. climate. There's and then you know market conditions. There's there's so many things that go into it. So it's, I think, just from people listening, we want to look at, hey, there's not just one thing to look at here. There's a lot of ways to support the the resilience proof of these cities and these populations, and and you've done a great job painting the picture of what it looks like now. But I'm interested in your thoughts on, based on where we are now, in your mind, what does the India of 2050 look like? And and when you kind of are just daydreaming and, and you see a future of India, and obviously that's just, let's say 30 years from now, what do you see the India of 2050 looking like?
1: Yeah, I think I'm a bit optimistic uh, despite of some challenges that India faces. I think uh, India is, India now is the youngest country, you know, insofar as the age of the population is concerned. The largest concentration of youths, uh, you know, stay in India at the moment. So they have the opportunity to actually now realize that the fossil uh, uh, the fossil fuel uh, uh, economy is collapsing and it, it may not last, uh, no matter how much uh, some people might, you know, might advocate for it and how much uh, some, as you said, uh, the deniers uh, actually push for it. Uh, so there is an opportunity in the green, green economy, the green entrepreneurs, uh, developing the green entrepreneurs. You know, studies have already said that green energy is getting cheaper by the day. Green jobs are uh, going to be available. Like they are going to grow by numbers, you know, by sort of... Uh, magnificent numbers so so i think india could take a lead by capitalizing on the youth population that it has at the moment there are concerns with the education level in the country the technical education that is being provided like studies have said uh, the skills don't actually match up uh, to the to the required standards of international uh, you know required international standards So I think uh, while at at one uh, side, if you go business as usual, I see a doomed India because a lot of these challenges that we we discussed about climate change, we already know everybody knows I'm not talking about them, are actually going to submerge our cities. Uh, People are going to be uh, migrating in millions and several other challenges like the water scarcity and the conflicts. Things are going to grow. All these, all these uh, ch- uh, doomed reality. But then on the other side, I think by 2050 we can also be a leader in uh, in fostering a new world that is because India has has got a great tradition of uh, conserving natural resources. Its indigenous communities, rural communities have shown the way. So in a way, India can take the leadership uh, in. Uh, in uh, conserving natural forests and uh, sowing the path of sustainable growth and in green technology by capitalizing on the youth, youth's talents and developing their skills, uh, we could actually uh, redefine growth to the greener, you know, to green, green growth.
0: I love it. Yeah. And often we hear so much focus on the doom and the gloom, but on the flip side, whenever there's that obstacle, there's an opportunity. And I think you you painted nicely that India has the largest population of the youth in the world, which to me is exciting because they have the ability to open up their minds and be a sponge to some of these new opportunities around green economies and a sustainable and resilient future. I feel the same and hopeful, optimistic uh, for everyone around the world. And I want to ask you two more questions that are somewhat similar to the last question, but phrased a little differently. And I like to ask this to everyone. But within the context of everything we've talked about with water and climate change and, and resilient cities and cyclones, all that, what is something that you are most excited about? And on the flip side, what is something that keeps you up at night and you're terrified about?
1: Uh, water excites me and terrifies me both. You know? <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> that's something you know the largest impact of climate change is on water and is fed through water so uh, so i think in that way uh, it has to uh, it actually th- uh, threatens you and also it inspires you because you have a lot of solution uh, that you can make out of water so and that is and that is the largest thing that you need to concentrate in your climate actions that's what i think and that you know sort of embodies that that encompasses all other solutions so respect for water respect for nature i would say is something that we need to build in the society and uh, that is how you you also diminish your threat perceptions and go into your hopeful uh, dimension so kind of i would say that the way water is uh, uh, destroying you know because you know the extreme precipitation events are now actually redefining the everything that we see our uh, the way we talk the way we move the way we uh, you know sort of uh, uh, push forward with our livelihoods it's changing the way we we even sort of narrate our stories everything you know uh, because in india monsoon is the lifeline monsoon is everything so water without a, with a disturbed monsoon, uh, you have actually scary uh, scary nights, you know, scary days. So nightmare is uh, future. But then the opportunity is, as I said, India has the tradition of harvesting rainwater. And India has shown that how in different geographical uh, setups throughout the country, different uh, sets of, you know, locally, geographically and ecologically suitable water harvesting methods and technologies systems have been developed uh, by our ancestors and that they still remain as you know testimony to what we we are capable of doing and testimony to our uh, relationship with nature with with rain uh, and with atmosphere so i think this is what would be my most forceful message for at least indians is that try to understand that water is going to destroy you unless you respect it and conserve it in geo-ecological ways, respecting the traditional knowledge as well as integrating the modern technology, the new technologies. So I think in a way, in uh, I would like to answer your questions, two questions in, in this way.
0: Wow. I I couldn't agree more and and appreciate how you just laid that out and and totally agree that water is, I mentioned this earlier, but it's something that we rely on. It gives us life. But at the same time, if you take it for granted or you try and think that we're bigger than mother earth, then water at the same time can take it all away and can can kill you in a lot of ways. So it's it's something that I love, but it's something that also terrifies me. And so I I appreciate your sentiments there. and, And with and kind of the, just a final question to wrap it up, just because we, we have the, the India Unleash hacks coming up. You've given such good insights already to all the different aspects of climate change and all that. What's one final comment that you want to tell innovators, anyone from the age of just born till they're, till they're 100 years old, whether, whatever stakes they're at in terms of how they want to be a piece of the puzzle with an innovation, um, whether they're an entrepreneur, whether they're a team player, whether they work for a company, whether they're the CEO, what would you tell aspiring change makers on what to think about or what to consider when approaching these monumental challenges that we face?
1: I think uh, stay rooted. That's the only thing one can do. You fly, you do whatever you want, but then stay rooted with Mother Earth. You know, do whatever little that is possible uh, for you to change this narrative of of doom to hope. I think in that, it requires your individual efforts. It requires your community efforts, your family efforts. It requires your institutional efforts. So if you are, uh, for example, if you are living in a surrounding, you just try that that surrounding is green. That green, for, to me, is not plantation. You know, the, the the other thing I want to tell everybody is that there is a huge craze nowadays that plantation is actually uh, the solution to every uh, every problem. That is not. I think uh, uh, green ways means you, you have to make uh, mend your ways and make everything, all of your ways, actually green and blue. And uh, inter, these are all interconnected things so make your little efforts to be a green citizen to be a green ambassador and try that everything all the problems are interconnected make everybody connected to solve all these problems from your individual level to your family level to your community level to your institutional level to your uh, state and national level and in that i think you can you can find out solutions to the uh, plastics to the pollutions uh, to the conservation of natural resources to preservation of uh, water and actually trying out to reduce your ecological footprint your you know em- emissions and in that way you can contribute your way uh, to a greener earth to a better earth to an, to an earth that is to an earth that is you know livable by for all, all species, not only human beings. And my last uh, request to everybody is that let us forget the fact that we are the supreme animal. Actually, we are, we are the most important animal only in the sense that we have been given a brain and that is for working to save all the species on earth. So let us never think that we are supreme and the earth actually revolves around us. And it is for our survival that everything is there and we, we can take everybody's service for our growth. I think this is the other way around. We are there because earth is there. The earth is not there because we are there. So I think if we, if we just keep these things in mind, uh, we, we can start finding a lot of solutions.
0: So well said. And and full pun intended, I hope, with that comment, stay rooted with Mother Earth. I, I couldn't agree more. And I love the comment that just because humans have brains and opposable thumbs, that doesn't mean we just use it for ourselves. We need to use it for the Earth. We need to use it for all biodiversity and ecosystems around us. So I couldn't have said everything that you just said so eloquently and, and beautifully. So thank you for sharing those insights. And, and on behalf of the SDG Talks community, the Unleash community, and just all the citizens on this earth, thank you. You're really doing amazing work and I learned so much from you today. And I, I'm really excited to, to see what's next for you as well as see some of the amazing solutions that come out of the Unleash India hacks. Thank you,
1: Kevin, it was great talking to you. Hope to see the next one.
0: Yes, thank Thanks, you. So. T- take care. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community.
1: The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.